Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 378. I feel like we've been typecast. My name is Caleb Hegg. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. I don't know what he means, so I'm looking forward to learn that. I'm Rob Fanoff. What I mean by that, I'll tell you what I mean by you. You want to know what I mean by that? Please do tell me. I will tell you. I feel like we've been typecast as like the heresy hunters. In other words, like, and this isn't the fault of the people who are sending us in stuff, but it might just be the sign of the times. Like, you got believers that are constantly questioning the deity of Christ. And maybe not, like, maybe that's too general. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just seems, seems a bit annoying that there's always, I don't know. We're, get, we're getting all the comments on, you know, like deity issues and stuff like that, which is fine because I understand that people are are actually, you know, I don't know. People are having to, to deal with those issues, obviously. And so I want to be able to help those people. What's frustrating is that people are having to deal with those issues. That's what's frustrating. Get what I'm saying? Typecast yeah. is the heresy hunters. That's okay. We're here. We heard that years ago, didn't we? Oh yeah. I mean, but that's just it. I and I wonder. So, I, what I mean by that is, I guess, like, I wonder if it's because of like our backgrounds and like the notion, kind of, of like the messianic movement coming from the messianic movement, and then like, what does that mean for like theologically? What does that mean? And I, those in the chat room and those listening, you you'll understand what I'm saying in in a little bit. Um, we got a really good voicemail and then also a follow-up email that talks about um, some of these issues. So that's really where it's coming from. You moved. Okay, hang on just a sec. I'm moving you back. How you doing, Rob? What's up, man? I'm moving. I can tell. <laughs> With the spirit, brother. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, what's to, new? Yeah, what's, what's new, new what's is new with you? I... I Praise God. I've got my second SBL paper submitted you are for, the, for the fall, which is glutton for uh, punishment in Denver. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. That was something that was like pressure because you have to put together a, an abstract, you know, like a proposal. Right. But that proposal contains like the core guts of, of the presentation. And it's a good habit, you know uh to for me at least it's a it's a good habit because it uh it's even though it's a little unsettling Cato, caleb you know firsthand how especially my first couple of years of presenting how nervous i would get yep i think i think i'm not as nervous anymore but there still is a there is that pressure and it's it's not unlike pressure like if you're taking a class and you have to write a, an essay you know Sure. And you have to absorb certain material and, and, and that pressure. And we all benefit from those types of accountability structures, you know? Um, and I think it's good. And so for me, it's a prod for continual growth and to, uh, you know, push myself. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not presenting at SBL this year. <laughs> you still have a few days to uh... I'm I'm good. Thank you. I, I like to go and listen. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, be part of this conversation. 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. It's just an answering machine. Uh, you don't have to talk to us. You can just yell at us. Love us. <laughs> do whatever you want. Uh, and then you can also shoot us an email. See how you get to our resource.com. C-H-E-G-G at Torah Resource. Dot com. Don't forget that Torah Resource has all sorts of wonderful resources, including a new book, uh, a new commentary on the book of Philippians, and a bunch of audio that goes with it. I don't even know how many audio sessions there are, but uh, there are a ton of them, and you can get all of that together. You can also listen to past archived uh, shows of the Messiah Matters, and you can do that on messiahmatters.com. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, don't forget to subscribe and click the like, bu- like button. It helps us. I know it sounds like it probably doesn't, but it actually does. Okay, let's jump in. Let's jump into our typecasting. Here we go. So, uh, actually, what do we want to do first? Let's let's hold, hold hold we'll hold off on that. Curtis writes in and he says this statement and question. 
Is it fair to say that there is a theological fallacy in that you can't work your way into salvation? Uh, this comes from last week when we talked about uh, if a person says you can lose your salvation by doing works or not doing works or doing bad works, then uh, the logical conclusion to that is that a person's salvation is, pre- is based on works. And uh, so it's just the flip side, in my opinion, of the notion that if you do good works, you can gain your salvation. So I see that as salvation by works. Uh, But Curtis is is challenging that. He says, um, therefore, you can't work your way into salvation. I absolutely agree that uh, that one cannot work their way into heaven or salvation. It is only by grace through faith in Yeshua. Okay. However... I question whether the converse logic is true. In your opinion, it is possible for one to work their way out of heaven. No, wait. Let's try this again. In your opinion, is it possible? Oh, sorry, there, there was the there was my misreading. In your opinion, is it possible for one to work their way out of heaven by knowingly continuing to practice sin with a high hand after a period of grace and warnings have run their course? Rob, you want to start? You had a great comment in our planning meeting. Well, I would, uh, for one, say uh, that is is it proper to understand grace as a clock ticking? Right. That's one one angle to come at this. Um, the other is, I, and I don't remember what we how we all the different nuance that we talked about the other day when you shared this idea with me, but. You know, I've had, I've talked with people that have said, you know, they say where Jesus says, you know, all that father has given me, you know, none shall uh, be taken out of my hand, but I've had people say, oh, but people can jump out. Like people can, uh, you might not be able to snap, be snatched away from Yeshua by the enemy, but you yourself could leave. Yeah, to, uh, is to that, me, to, is that what you were remembering us? Well, to about? me, what what I, I think your comment was something to the effect of, that's like saying a person who hates God can be saved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A person like I love, a, I love God, but then I hate God. Yeah. Exactly. I love yeah, God yeah. enough to get in, but I I hate God enough to, uh, to not listen and adhere to uh, to the scriptures to my brothers and sisters in the church. Um, whatever it may be. Yeah, the whole point of the, the sin of the high hand is an action of someone who hates God. Yeah, defiance. You yeah, are yeah, defiant, defiant against it's God. Not, it's not, oh, I love God, but I'm going to defy him. It, it's That's like schizophrenic. That that's There's no coherence. I mean, let's just take let's take that to the nth degree. That's like saying that, that uh, Satan was once saved. Right. Right? I mean... Well, it's, yeah. So the, the the notion that like someone has deep rooted hate for God in their heart, or that uh, they don't have a covenantal relationship with God, is in heaven, is in the kingdom, and just doesn't doesn't tote the line. Tote Caleb, the line. Uh, just something on a side note here. Yeah. Does it seem that like I, I've just been re- you know kind of praying about this and thinking wrestling with like all the different kinds of questions that come our way. And sometimes I wonder if people are, they're, they're habitually, like they're more attached to just finding out as many different little drive-by gotcha questions. Like that's, like that's actually their mode of life, not actually abiding in shalom, abiding in grace and growing spiritually in, you know, in their life, in their marriage, in their family, in the word of God. I think we need to be careful with that. And the reason why is because I think that we have genuine questions coming in uh, from people who, and I think that, well, I mean, this could be a whole show in and of itself, but I think that we have genuine uh, questions from people coming in who are genuinely asking uh, theological questions. I agree, I, I agree that questions. that's our, our primary hermeneutic is absolutely that people are sincere well, not but only... it seems like it, it seems like sometimes the questions are. I don't mean I don't mean this particular one that we're talking about, but never mind. So you mean like gotcha questions? Yeah, I think that that happens every once in a while. But ultimately, I think 
And here, here's, here's, I think this happens to me too, by the way. So this isn't a down on anyone by, by any stretch of the imagination. I help, I think that this happens to me as I, as I look at various theological uh, viewpoints. One of the things that I think happens to me is I will watch and read a lot of different, different theological points and views, especially on like YouTube and whatnot. And one of the things that begins to happen is we start to get pulled in different directions. And I think that this is a new phenomena that happens, uh, that's happening to believers in the church. And the reason why is because it comes with the invention of the internet and ultimately the ability to receive so much information at once. You know, back in the, I don't know, 70s or 80s even, you went to church and that's where you got your theological training. Maybe you bought some books and you read them. And so you were focused in certain, I mean, yeah, you might be hearing some different theological viewpoints than what your pastor's preaching, but that's when people would probably go back to their church and talk about theological issues. They'd hear their pastor preach, They, you know, so on and so forth. Now what happens, and I've experienced this firsthand at our church, what happens is I'll have people come in and they'll say, I was listening to this teacher and they said, but then this other teacher said, and what do you think? And I'll tell the person what I think. And then the next week they'll come back and they say, you know, I heard what you said, but then I went and I saw these other teachers, you know, on the list, two or three teachers. And they'll say, and they said, and so it's like, we're no longer just listening to one spiritual leader in our, in our walk. What we're doing is we're taking a buffet of different theological viewpoints. And I think because of that, even myself, I think, you know, I tend to kind of almost get swayed in certain theological mindsets or even in philosophical mindsets, how we should think. I think that's where it comes from. The good thing is, is that people are actually beginning to question certain things. But on the flip side, they're questioning things they probably shouldn't. But one of the things that we have with our show is we have new people constantly coming in and listening. And so I think that uh, I think that we're getting a lot of the same questions. And I think that that's probably or different different viewpoints to the same questions. And I think that that's probably what you're feeling a little bit. Back to Curtis. Yeah, there, there is a there is sadly in the intellectualization and the high information uh, accessibility, there is a, a separation of way of life from ideas. And, and when you're part of back, like in time, like you're talking about when you were part of a community where you go and that's your primary um, forum for hearing the word of God, for talking about it, for collect community worship, etc. You're, you're doing life with other people, right? Yes. And, and it's all, so your interpretation of everything is also through your, literally through your bodily experience of participating in community. What we have now, sadly, is the divorce of bodily participation. And then what it becomes is just this idea information comparison. So I'm just comparing ideas with ideas and all of it can be detached from my actual way of life. Right. And that's a, that's a tragedy. Clayton has a good comment. He says, after God created everything, didn't he say everything was good? So wouldn't Satan have been good in the beginning until iniquity was found in him? And the answer is, yeah, that's, that's true. But that doesn't mean that God had a covenant relationship with him. In other words, well, all the, and that's also taking the Isaiah and Ezekiel passages somehow talking about Satan, which I'm hesitant to do. I, I tend to take the Ezekiel passage specifically speaking of, of, um, of Satan, but nonetheless, even if it's not, the, the point is, is that if, if Satan was created in the beginning before the fall of man, which it seems he obviously was, he would be included in the everything is good category. But that doesn't mean that God had a covenant relationship with him. It doesn't seem like God had a covenant relationship with the animals, right? And he didn't have a covenant relationship with the, with the, uh, with the plants, but he had a covenant relationship with man. And even then, once the fall happens, then that covenant relationship is broken. So obviously, covenant relationship can be broken in one way or another. 
So, okay. Um, let's go back to our notes. It's a great, that's a good question though, Clayton. I, I appreciate that question. Okay. Um, let's move on. This is the one that we want to get to. This is the fun one. Let's see here. Uh, do, 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 do. you know, I didn't, I didn't cue this up to see if it was too loud. So let me pull up my, sorry, everybody. Just hang with me here for a second. We're going to, yeah, exactly. Okay. Here we go. Let's see if this is way too loud. Hi, Rob and Caleb. Uh, I'm Trinitarian, but I wanted to set up a anti-Trinitarian midrash for you just to see how you'd respond to it. Uh, in John 3.14, it says that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. But in 2 Kings 18.4, it says that King Hezekiah destroyed the serpent because the people were worshiping it. Therefore, Jesus is a fitting instrument of salvation of God for his people, but should not be worshipped as God Himself. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much. Bye. Okay, before we before we respond to this, and it, that's a interesting and good good question. Before we respond to that, I want to actually go to a email that we got. This is from the same. This is from the caller. This is what he says. He says, "Just wanted to give some more context to the anti-Trinitarian midrash I made up." I recently became great friends with some messianics, not Hebrew rooters from TikTok, but they are Unitarians. Okay. Now this, by the way, this entire email and this, uh, this, uh, voicemail could probably fill an entire show. I'm not sure if I would agree with the notion that these people are not Hebrew readers because I, I personally believe that messy, like messianic Judaism, along with he, the Hebrew roots movement in many cases, not all the time, but in many cases, carry theological weight to them. And if we're going to look at the largest groups within the Messianic Jewish, I know that this is off topic completely, but if we're going to look at the major groups within the Messianic world, you have the UMJC, the MJAA, and the IAMCS. Those are the three heavy hitters, okay? All of them are pro-Trinitarian. And so, but the Hebrew Roots Movement began on three main uh, theologies. One of them was Armstrong. Armstrong was a Binitarian, okay? And uh, then you also had anti-Trinitarian uh, people coming in, uh, particularly from Armstrong. But so Unitarianism seems to me to be an offshoot of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Theologically, I'd say that these people might claim to be Hebrew or uh, Messianics, but theologically, Unitarianism tends to be a Hebrew root theological perspective. Not by all Hebrew rooters, by any stretch of the imagination, but within the Hebrew roots movement, there is Unitarianism. Anyway, let's keep going. So this person has met some Hebrew rooters or Messianics, whatever, and uh, they are Unitarians. The books they recommend I read were The End of a Messianic Lie by Uriel Ben Mordecai and How Jesus Became God by Bart Ehrman which I am halfway through. By the way, there is a a wonderful response to Bart Ehrman's book, How Jesus Became God, called How God Became Jesus, written by a slew of different scholars, and they uh, break Ehrman's book down point by point. I've read it. It is a very good book, and I would recommend it to whoever uh, is dealing with these issues. Continuing on with the email, he says, their position, as I understand it, is that the earliest gospel accounts, pre-literary tradition, uh, and Jewish precedents all point to Jesus being the anointed one, not God. Okay, can we stop for a few seconds? I want to I just address this as well. I would recommend to you uh, Paul's Divine Christology as a book to read concerning oh, this. Oh, Chris Tilling. Yeah, Chris Tilling uh, wrote a book that basically addresses such a notion. What he argues in that book is that all of Paul's writings save maybe one or two very small passages, imply a pre-understanding uh, of the divinity of Christ. And he doesn't focus on the heavy hitter uh, passages that most people focus on. What he, ha- what he uh, specifically looks at is the places you wouldn't think would be uh, the deity passages. And he shows, I think, convincingly, that Paul certainly was a Trinitarian and at least believed in the deity of Christ. So, anyway. Um, you know what? Footnote there. First of all, thanks for mentioning that book. 
Chris Tilling is just great. What a fun memory. I, the last I talked to him, it was at SBL, I think a couple of years ago, he was working on a commentary, I think for second Corinthians. Do you know any, this is a, a footnote. I know that I don't. the main thing, but anyway, if someone wants to look it up, yeah, like by one of the big publishers. So that's pretty cool. Tilling anyway. is hilarious. He uh, is English and he doesn't think of, uh, foul language the way that we he's do he's not afraid of a he's, he's not, not afraid to drop he's not drop. afraid to drop some bad words on his facebook page every once in a while and it's it's really quite humorous he's he's a funny guy anyway but yeah what, what a, what a good but guy. he's a dynamite okay. scholar he is a dynamite scholar anyway uh going on with this email he says it's not that they the people who uh are challenging the deed of christ it's not that they think jesus was just a normal man but the idea that Jesus equals God is a mistake. I posed my question, having talked with them for over two months, as I try to wrestle with and answer the position from their point of view. I always look forward to your show. Um, yeah, I think that this is this is becoming a uh, pandemic. So there, a pandemic two parts within, to this. Yeah, go ahead. One is the vi- the audio he sent. Should right. we do that first? Sure. So his audio was basically, this is, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. In the Gospel of John, it says the Son of Man must be lifted up and equates that to the serpent in the wilderness. Right. And and how in the Book of Kings, we learned that the serpent had become set up and actually worshipped and they right. were burning incense to it. Right. At the temple, the king of Judah came and destroyed it because it was uh, obviously wrong for them to be doing that then isn't it also then if that's true isn't it by extension wrong to worship jesus is that what he's saying yes okay i think that's a false it's a false setup first of all it it we must assume that to yeshua fully understood that the the tanakh he knew that the the serpent in the wilderness had in fact become an object that was set up in the temple and worshipped, and that was wrong by a king of Judah, and he's of the line of the kings of Judah, so he un- absolutely understands that. And I think the best uh, picture would be those things, it, like in Catholicism, or where they actually have a, a crucifix, you know, a cross with a with a little figure of Jesus. Uh, nailed to it, um, that they actually burn candles to, you know, and or incense to, and pray to. I mean, I think that would that makes more sense if you were going to um, try to push that that picture. But the the fact of the crucifixion is indeed a one time salvation that that functioned from the foundation of creation out, you know, outside of time backwards and forwards. So that Paul writing almost two centuries later in Galatia in his letter to the Galatians says, you know, he loved me and gave himself for me and I am crucified with him. So unless we're going to accuse Paul of, you know, why does Paul consider himself when he had been against the church, kicking against the church, persecuting the church, after Yeshua's ascension, until the Damascus Road uh, uh, transformation, and he's saying now that he's crucified with the Messiah, and that the Messiah loved, Paul saying he loved me and gave himself for me. Right. He died for my sin. That Paul is obviously saying this is this is not a time-bound situation. He's saying that what Christ before the cross loved Paul personally and died personally for Paul's sin, even though in the chronology of our perspective of time, that revelation had not been given to Paul yet. So Paul was still in darkness, still in his sin, but his but he was owned by Messiah. And when the time was right, he got the he got the uh, the uh the notice <laughs> of his owner um so 
that, those are some of my thoughts. I see. So uh, Lee has taken the words right out of my mouth here. He says, it's easy. The serpent was a symbol. Christ is the substance. And this is exactly right. We could, we could, um, we could think of this in several different ways. So first of all, when, let's take the cross, for instance. The cross has become a symbol within Christianity of the fact that someone who, that the cross is empty because Christ has overcome death. The, the symbol that used to signify death now signifies life, that, uh, that Christ has overcome death and made us alive in him. Well, as soon as someone starts worshiping the cross, they've crossed the line. They've crossed from symbol into idolatry. And the same is, is true with the serpent on the, the bronze serpent on the pole, right? It is a representation of sin being nailed to the cross through Christ's death on the cross. Uh, as soon as Israel starts worshiping it, it becomes something that it was not intended for. And now it is idolatrous. Uh, Greg, uh, in the chat room, he quotes Isaiah 40, uh, 45, 7. And this actually is kind of where my mind was going to as well. Uh, Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Okay, obviously yod heh is talking in this, in this passage. Now go to Colossians 1. Through him, everything that was created was created. He created everything. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Christ. So the the idea that uh, that God created all things, we find this in Genesis. God created Yod Heh Vav Heh created all things. He do, he is responsible for creation. And then in John one and in Colossians one, we find and in Hebrews one, we find that um, that God or that Yeshua Jesus is responsible for creation. Uh, I mean, one plus one equals two, right? And in the same way, if Yeshua created all things and God created all things, do the math. Um, the other thing, where was the other comment? Uh, oh, yeah, Michael in the chat room says, Avi Ben Mordecai denies the New Testament per his intro in his, in his Galatians commentary. See, one of the things that happens when people start to deny core doctrines of the church is that uh, they start to follow people who go way farther than they want to. I, I had been talking to someone recently who said that uh, they believed that Yeshua was deity, but he was not as, uh, equal with the Father. Well, this ultimately, if you pull on that thread, where does it go? It goes to Arianism. It, you have to go down to full-blown Arianism or to the Jewish notion that, that uh, you know, there is a lesser yod heh vav -Hey. And the problem with this is that the scriptures clearly say that there's not a lesser yod heh vav -Hey. There's one God. And so, uh, you know, we have to be able to line up the scriptures. And it seems to me like these people uh, that our brother is debating with are not being, uh, they're not being honest with the text. And they want to, the other thing is, is that they want to, um, they want to use Jewish sources and Jewish thought uh, that comes around later, and it's it's just not the case. When we talk right, about right, yeah, when we talk about the formation of theology, certainly there is. They act as if the Talmud was already like is the the historical background. Right, that's the problem with like the Avi Ben Mordecai's and the you know there's other sadly. Lots of other people in the messianic world that make that mistake. The other notion that is being uh, pulled on here, if they were, let's go back to the email, if they were to concede to the level of divinity, by no means did the early believers universally agree that it was a trinity of understanding, like the uh, Athanasian Creed. In other words, this can't be a salvific issue if the opinions were so diverse. I mean, I think that this negates the idea of progressive mm. revelation, first of all, but I think it also us underestimates the level of knowledge of what people in the first century actually believed. Did the people believe that there was a, a Holy Spirit? Absolutely. And did they believe that, that God was going to come and deal with, at least with some form of what was coming against God's kingdom? Absolutely they did. You know, Abraham believed in Yeshua. He did, and he believed that his sin was going to be dealt with. 
Now, I agree that there is uh, there is some really interesting things going on in the first century. You know, Peter seems to think that uh, Christ is going up to uh, to to Jerusalem to take over Rome. He doesn't understand that Christ is going to Jerusalem to uh, to deal with sin. So, what do we do with this? Well, I mean, honestly, at at what point does a person become saved? That's a good question. I mean, this ultimately for me goes back to the the notion of of uh, I mean, the doctrines of grace. I know our listener listenership is getting uh, getting tired of it, but to me, it goes back to the to the doctrines of grace and you know how God deals with people and how God is is leading His people to them. Um, but ultimately, when we talk about a salvific issue, now that the revelation has come. And God has revealed himself much more fully to deny portions of who God is or to deny who God is, is I think goes back to ultimately goes back to a heart issue. It goes back to uh, uh, the fact that a person is not understanding uh, the nature of who God is and how he works and is denying the, the revelation of God. That's a problem. That is a problem. And ultimately, when we talk about salvific issues, this is interesting. I've, I've really wrestled with this myself. And the reason why is because, okay, well, you know, I know people who are, who didn't, I know Unitarians who really lead a, a very uh, humble and what I would consider godly life according to uh, the way that they read the scriptures, and I've really wrestled with the notion of, okay, is this a salvific issue or not? But ultimately, when you go back to the scriptures, what we have to answer is this question. What is the gospel that is preached to Paul? Because in Galatians 1, he says, if anyone comes preaching another gospel, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ, but whether we or an angel from heaven preach a different gospel, he is anathema. So ultimately the question is, is what is the gospel that the, that the uh, apostles have delivered to us? Because if, if it includes the fact that Christ is Yodhe and that he is eternal in both directions, and then people turn and say that is not the case. You know, you also got the uh, you also got the the passage in Romans where he says, "If you believe with your if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Kurios, that He is Lord." Now there is question on this as well, but ultimately that question comes down to whether or not the scriptures themselves are where whether or not Paul is writing there that he is Yodhevave or whether he is just saying Lord. And the reason why is because the Septuagint translates Yodhevave as kurios. What is it? It's something ridiculous. It's like 90% of the time or something like that. 95%. It's it's very high. So is Paul saying if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Yodhevave? I think that there's good evidence that that's the way that that should be read. But I know that people have have pushed against that. Thoughts, Rob? Nope, I think you did a good job. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> All right, um, it's a good question, and I and I think that we need to continue to. You know, I said in the beginning we get typecast, but honestly, I think that one of the reasons that uh, this is such an important issue is because it is a foundational issue. Well, what we're talking about when we discuss these issues ultimately is the very nature of who God is, the God that we actually serve. Do we serve, uh, you know, God and a man, or do we serve yod heh in the flesh? This to me is, I mean, ultimately, I think that this comes down to the, the idea of do we serve, are we serving two different gods? And uh, that, to me, is a huge issue because if I'm going to stand next to someone in corporate worship and I believe that we're, uh, you know, we're worshiping two different gods, <clears throat> that's an issue. 
That is a major issue. I've had people say, oh, well, we're not worshiping two different gods. Well, if I say that Yeshua is yod heh vav in the flesh, that he is God in the flesh, and you say that he's not, to me, that sounds like two different gods. Okay. You want to move on, or do you have anything to, to add to that? No, I think you're good. I think we're good. We're did move- we address the... I mean, yeah, I guess we did. We pretty much talked about it. I think I think we... The different points he made, yeah. I think we did all right, but if... Um, Bobby, by the way, is the person who, uh, who wrote in. If Bobby has any more questions on that or wants to add to that, please shoot us another email or another voice message. And thank you very much for... Uh, both of those because it's uh it's a good good conversation okay uh cameron who i believe is in the chat room says this he says i know that this one is an old one but any references for refuting the very loose and flimsy argument for the day beginning at sunrise i will give you my go-to verse for this uh in the first century uh and that is john 13 21 through 30 Let's just read it, and then we'll expound on it. And Rob, you can, you can, uh, you know, load up the the canon on this one as well if you'd like to. While I read this, John thirteen twenty one through thirty says, and this is during the Last Supper. He says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he, of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at, at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Remember that this is at nighttime. This is, I believe this is Nissan 14 at nighttime. It's becoming evening now. And he says, what you're about to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, that because Judas had the money bag, he was telling him, but what we need, uh, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. So why would they think that he was telling them to buy something for the feast? Why would the, the uh, command to do what you're about to do, do quickly? Why would that relate to buying something for the feast? The answer is because the sun was going down and it was going to become the Sabbath. That's why he had to do it quickly. If it wasn't going to become the Sabbath at sundown, then there's no reason for him to do it quickly. He could do it. He could go out at nighttime and buy whatever they needed whenever they needed. If it wasn't going to be the Sabbath until the next morning when the sun rose, then there's no reason for him to do it quickly. The reason that they supposed that he was saying buy something for the feast is because it was about to be the Sabbath. At sundown, I don't, I'm, there is no other reading that I have ever heard that would explain why the disciples would, would think that he was saying go buy something for the feast and do it quickly because the sun was about to be down, down. So right there in that passage, I think it's pretty clear that at least Yeshua and the disciples in the first century reckon the day from sundown to sundown. At least on Nisan 14, they reckon the Sabbath beginning at sundown. That's that's my uh, that's my go-to verse. Rob, you got any? Uh, well, I think in the Torah also, like we we know that many times uh, throughout the Torah, we learn that if in the case of impurity for a day, oh like nice, if, yeah, good one. I'm not talking about corpse defilement because that ex- that extends many days, of course. But if someone for some reason, there's a few different reasons why a, a person's would become what we call tame, which means um, uh, translated as unclean. But it means that you're you're basically you're disqualified from participating in public worship, like going and uh, you can't. In other words, if you're unclean, you have to resolve that before you could go offer a, even a sin offering, for example. Um, but if the procedure given in the Torah, washing, etc. Says that that person then is unclean um, until evening. So uh, when the sun goes down, 
there is a shift um, to where the impurity that you had, if you went by the, if you did the appropriate procedure given in the Torah, then you are, you're no longer Tameh. You're now Tahor. I have never um, thought of that. And that's a great, that is a great place to go. But also, I mean, in the same Torah pass, you know, in Leviticus, we learn uh, that says you are going to keep your Sabbath from evening to evening. I mean, that's uh, in Leviticus 23. So if you keep a Sabbath from evening until evening, what it, and I mean, and it means the same thing until evening means the Shabbat ends at evening and the Shabbat begins uh, in the evening as with all the days. I mean, that's from Genesis one. So I, my, my sense is that again, I, the people, I, I, I'm not upset at all about people who have the genuine question. My, what I'm suspicious is about is who's sowing these seeds out there. Who's the ones that are going and actually creating these ideas and then broadcasting them and, you know, sowing these tears, you know, everywhere. So then people see them and they go, Oh, I guess I don't have an answer to this. And it's good that we can address the questions, but I just, I mean, it's just, but don't you, I mean, we've talked about this at, at not ad nauseum uh, several times, especially back in our older shows, the idea that I think that a lot of these questions are coming because you have people who are untrained and they're not listening to the trained people. You know, I saw a, uh, I saw a video. I forget what it was. It's, uh, there's this group and they have, they bring in people that disagree and then they have, then they have genuine conversations. So they'll have everybody in the back and they'll say, I'm going to make a statement. And the statement is, and in this one, it was, I believe that the earth is flat. And so they had brought together flat earthers and they had brought together genuine scientists, like people who work in the science field. One of them was like a NASA astronaut or something like that. And then it was like, we're going to bring these people together. And we're going to talk about it. And in that, in that, uh, in the beginning of that episode that they uh, did, they said uh, the, the, the statement was, I receive most of my information from the internet and from YouTube. And all of the flat earthers came and sat down and none of the scientists did. And the scientists said, well, you know, back in the back, they had a mic back there. And one of the scientists says, well, I think we just found our problem. Ooh. And this is, the, and, and this is the truth. I mean, I know a lot of people think that they're getting all this biblical knowledge from the internet and from the YouTube channels that they follow. And I'm not saying that there isn't some biblical knowledge there, but anybody can post biblical, you know, anybody can post whatever they want on the internet. And so you have people who are very well trained, who have spent time in the original languages, who have spent time, you know, in classes, sharpening themselves with many other people and professors and whatnot. And then you got people who woke up one day and read their Bible and just decided that this is what it means. And you put both of those on the internet and really what it becomes is who presents it better. That's really what it comes down to. And you got a lot of people who present really well, who have no training. Whereas I've realized this going to like ETS and SBL, some of the most brilliant minds in the Bible are the guys who are wearing stuff that they look homeless and their hair is, you know, their hair hasn't been combed in literally a, a, a year and a half. And, you know, they got mustard stains on their shirts. <laughs> right. I mean, these are the guys who were like the most brilliant minds in the Bible. And they're, they'll get up and they'll present. And it's just blown away. But if you see them on a YouTube channel, you're changing the channel. You're not, you're not going to stay there. And then you see these guys who are, are teaching pure heresy and they got, you know, a good light setup. They got great cameras and whatnot, and it looks really good. And so I, I think that ultimately what you have is you have people gaining their biblical. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the notion that back in the seven, even as early as the seventies and eighties, people would go to church and the main theological voice that they were listening to was their pastor. And pastors were well-trained and they, you know, they were 
ready to lead the flock. And now you don't have people listening to just their pastor. You have people listening to all these different voices on the internet. And so you get these, you get these people coming up with very interesting, quote unquote, interesting ideas. And I think that's kind of a problem. Um, anything else on that? No, I think, uh, I think we did it. <laughs> I think we, fair enough. All right, let's ask this question since Paul, uh, since uh, Paul, since Rob is so good with uh, Galatians and Paul will ask this question. Why does Paul bring up the issue of Jews not being sinners and juxtapose that to Gentiles who are from Galatia, uh, Galatians, uh, who are from Galatians 2.15, I think, or referencing Galatians 2.15? Right. Uh, he's talking about, yeah, Galatians 2, where it says, um, for we, for we uh, who are by nature, fuse, you die, you die. So it's fuse is the Greek word there for, you know, we're, we're Jewish naturally, and we're not um, uh, ethnoi hamartoloi, so uh, Gentile sinners. That it, it's um, he's responding to the what I call the ideology of these troublers that had come in and influenced Peter to shift his behavior. Even Barnabas and other Jews had uh, withdrawn from eating with Gentiles right? due to fear of man. And Paul says, I had to, you know, I have to call, you know, I had to call Peter out on this. And, and so what he, what he does is he's describing uh, this contrast. And when he says, Fuse we are by nature Jews, it, we need to attend to that first. And what he means is we, um, because the people like Peter and Barnabas and those who were brought away with this hypocrisy temporarily, they responded to the intimidation that they weren't being Jewish correctly. Right. And he's saying we're by nature Jews. We, we didn't earn what uh, Jewish being Jewish is not something that you try to be better at or that you accomplish. Being Jewish is not an accomplishment, a spiritual uh, badge. It is you're either born one or you're not. Right. Um, and, and so, but then he says, and not Gentile sinners. He's sinners is under uh, quotes because that's how these, uh, the people who are coming in and pressuring Peter to change and withdraw and Barnabas and those to withdraw from the Gentiles uh, did so under the, 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 what they were teaching was you can't eat with those people. Why? Because they're, they're sinners. They're an, uh, they they're are a source of defilement. Yeah. And we're pure. If, if you keep our halacha, you will be pure and holy and you'll be true Jews. And so Peter did you know at that moment of time weakness didn't have he wasn't standing for what Paul calls the 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 uh, uh, the truth of the gospel and uh, even Barnabas says was temporarily drawn up with that hypocrisy and so but but Paul clearly says this is because of fear of man and so when he says we by nature who say we are we are Jews by nature. It's not something we accomplish, and we're not, you know, Gentile, quote, sinners. But then what does he say? If we, even who are Jews, if we are found to be sinners after, after confessing Messiah, does that make Messiah the one who made us sinners? No. So the, the, the revelation of Messiah is that even Jews are sinners. They're not, they're just as much sinners as Gentiles are. Yep. And that, and we see that also, you know, in Acts 15, it says that, that the Gentiles uh, who come to faith, they, they, and the Jews who come to faith, both need Yeshua equally. You know, that's one of the things that, just a footnote here, that has bothered me in the Messianic world, especially with what the, you know, the bilateral ecclesiology. It's like somehow Messiah functions differently in, the, in that scheme. Tell me if I'm wrong, Caleb. Like if you're Jewish, let's say you're an Orthodox Jew and you come to faith in Yeshua, or if you're just a pagan, you know, let's say you worshiped uh, Caesar or whatever 
pantheon of Roman gods and you came to be a believer. The idea is like, oh, well, the Jew just has to go a couple steps, whereas the Gentile has to go all these steps. Actually, no, because <laughs> the truth of the matter is they both are lost without Messiah in, in sin and death. Right. That's the claim of the gospel. It's the, it's the great equalizer. And that's why Paul later in Galatians, I think it's the end of, she's the end of chapter three, where he says, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, right? What's he, he's saying? It's Messiah levels. You know, he says in Matthew 23, you have one rabbi, you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Uh, it's, and, and the fact of that table fellowship, just bringing it full circle back to Galatians 2, here you have Kepha and Barnabas and others who are eating with Gentiles. And, it, and the verb there is in the imperfect. It means that was their routine. They would eat, they would share table fellowship right. over and over. And then all of a sudden, some people show up in town, and all of a sudden the Gentiles yeah. go to eat that day, and Peter's not there. Barnabas, it's like, man, all the Jews are gone. What's wrong with us? I guess we need to now go and, and become Jewish. We need to become acceptable by this other group because, you know, we're not, we're not uh, apparently uh, fit for community anymore. Right. It's a, it's a big problem. Anyway, good question. That's a great, yeah, great, great topics today. All right, we're going to cut it short today. I know that people are going to be upset by that, but that's okay. You're going to have to. Pro I see the picket sign. People are already writing the picket signs. That's right. You're going to have to. You're going to have to deal with it. All right. Uh, I do want to tell you that if you want to get a hold of us, you can leave us a comment on our comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. You can also shoot us an email, chag at torahresource dot com. Chag at torahresource dot com. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Mm -hmm.